Welcome to New Life Lutheran's podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nlutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric, or would like to suggest a topic for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric.anderson at nlutheran.com. Today on the podcast, we continue our conversation with Bishop Ryan Mackey of the Communion of Evangelical Episcopal Churches. Today we talk to him about worship, about music, about how the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas shapes their worship services, and how we shape our worship services here at New Life Lutheran Church. We also discuss how we can engage emotionally and spiritually with the historic traditions of the church, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and Holy Communion. If you could do me a big favor this week, if you listen to us on iTunes, please go and rate our podcast and also leave uh, a good comment for us, and that'll help our listenership increase. So the more positive responses we have from our podcasts on iTunes, the more we will be able to reach out to other listeners and hearers. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's get growing. So do you feel like your current parish, the Father's House, which you are not the lead pastor of, Mm -hmm. you are on the pastoral staff, but you are a bishop in your diocese, Mm -hmm. so you're in leadership in that area. Do you feel like your parish response, the way that you've shaped in the form of your response to God, your worship, do you feel like that is done with excellence? Yeah, I do. And that's not been without a lot of heartache. Um, and a lot of mm. um, trying. Uh, when mm. um, just to give you a snapshot of our journey, so I mentioned we started Pentecostal Holiness, and then we shifted to being part of this of this communion. So I mean, we were like you know three hour long shake it down Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. Through a series of events, we found ourselves. Um, we we left the Pentecostal Holiness Church, and we began to search for what we saw is maybe a more multifaceted expression of the church. Um, Mm. There are several people in our parish who came from um, high church expressions of of the faith uh, Mm -hmm. who maybe were looking for something a little different. There were some of us, like myself, who came from kind of a middle-of-the-road sort of expression who had some exposure to high church. Like I said, my mom taught at a Catholic school, so I was comfortable with that, and who were kind Mm -hmm. of new to maybe a little bit more of the charismatic, Pentecostal, free church sort of expression. And so we we found uh, in the communion of evangelical Episcopal churches that we're a part of, we found this, this desire and freedom to be able to say, we recognize that the church um, historically has been this multifaceted entity, and we should, mm. we should in the 21st century continue to worship in that manner. And I, th- I think that uh, if, you, if you take a quick scan around, a lot of denominations across not only the United States, but the world have kind of waken up to that, uh, mm-hmm. woken to that in the last 20, 30, 40 years, 50, 60 years in some cases. Um, and I think that's been a really good thing. And so for us, uh, for our parish, I'm really fortunate in that, um, like you said, I'm not 
Uh, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm on the pastoral staff. I get to help mm-hmm. out not only with, you know, the teaching and stuff, but I also get to help out with, with music on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And so I, I kind of, both myself and our associate pastor, who he does worship in youth and, and teaches in the main sanctuary as well, we both get that that benefit of being able to kind of do multiple things and see and have these great conversations about yeah. where our focus is. And I think I think we do a good job. Other people mm-hmm. who, who would come in would probably have places for us to, to tweak and to develop and get better. Sure. And, and again, I would probably lean a little bit more one way. My senior pastor, who's also my archbishop, he leans another way. And, you know, sure. another member of our pastoral leadership team, they might lean another way, which, you mm-hmm. know, if you think about people leaning three different directions, you know, you can think about it as some good tension you know, there's sure. maybe some tension that exists, but at the same time, if you think of us as being like tethered together, we're also putting enough enough uh, tension on it to where none of us is going to fall headlong into sure. one specific direction. And we kind of keep each other in check a little bit. So the parish that you're at came out of this Pentecostal holiness tradition, lots of music, lots of singing, uh-huh. very active, physical, physically active engagement yes. with the worship service, and you say that you moved into this group called the Community of Evangelical Episcopal Churches, uh-huh. uh, which most listeners won't be familiar with that. I, I am because I was involved with the Father's House a little bit while I was at Central, and so I'm familiar with you guys. Walk us through then, what does your worship service look like now? If you think that that it's done with excellence and that it's a, it's a good example of response to God uh-huh. and is a good example of a multifaceted response to God. Walk us through the elements of your worship service, and then we'll discuss why you guys do things that way. Okay, great. So as I mentioned, we we do have three services a weekend. We have one on Saturday night and two on Sunday morning. We have two pastors uh, who oversee those in terms of um, both they are the the preachers and the senior pastors of those services. Um, For 20 three years, uh, I was primarily in, in the Sunday morning services. Our, our Saturday service has kind of, it's kind of come and gone a little bit. Mm-hmm. So at one point I was helping out with all three services a weekend, so the Saturday night and the, the two on Sunday morning. Uh, as mentioned before, we also have a midweek service, a Wednesday evening mm-hmm. service as well. So four services a week. And if if you look at our, our three weekend services, they do have a uh, an order of service. They do have a form. And in terms of like what the various elements are, the look, feel, there is some variation. So I'll, I'll just give you the, the overview. So Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday evenings, uh, it would go like this. So we would, uh, we would have the, the opening greeting to the, to the congregation, um, some kind of, a, of an invocation or something to that effect. Uh, if it's a if it's a high season, so we just came through Advent, so we would do a, a short processional. So the 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 priest and uh, the uh, the acolytes would come in. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, would just like well, since we came through Advent and there's a lot of candles to light, um, we had uh, uh, somebody carrying up a, a processional cross and uh, Bible, and then lighting uh, lighting the candles. So at mm-hmm. this time, it's it's primarily just the just the priest whoever's whoever's serving, and then we go into a time of congregational singing. So we typically uh, will do three songs, um, and then after we're done with singing, we'll have a uh, a time of greeting, 
and uh, or welcome. We'll do uh, the offering. Then we will uh, have the lectionary readings. So whatever readings happen to be for that week. And then mm-hmm. we'll have the homily. And then after the homily, we will go into the Eucharist. And that Eucharist is uh, a fairly scripted Eucharist in terms okay. of that we will take it primarily from the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, which is what a lot of our clergy will use for some of the main services, whether you're talking mm-hmm. uh, daily office prayer, the Eucharist. It's what our ordination services are informed out of because we mm-hmm. have a little bit more of a historic Anglican tie um, mm-hmm. to our to our services um, or to our tradition. For the Saturday morning service or Sunday morning services, uh, it looks something a little bit more like this. So it would be um, the the greeting, the opening welcome, and then they would have you'd have two songs, and then a a, a short uh, a short moment to um, to kind of greet your neighbor, sort of a thing, and we dismiss. Uh, the children to children's service, and then we do two more songs. Um, would ha- have the offering, the the readings, the homily, and then uh, close with the Eucharist as well. And now the Sunday morning services, uh, un- until we enter into a little bit more of the high seasons like uh, mm-hmm. Advent or yeah Advent and Lent, um, they are definitely the Sunday morning services are definitely more charismatic. Um, music can go on much longer than mm-hmm. we would on a Sunday night or a Saturday night or a Wednesday night. Um, so, and usually the the music team is larger for a Sunday morning service. Our our two Sunday mm-hmm. morning services are our two largest one. Our second one is our largest one, and so mm-hmm. you might have like a uh, ten or eleven person band mm. on a Sunday second service Sunday morning as opposed to uh, so. We're recording this on a Thursday, and so last night for Wednesday night service, uh, due in mm-hmm. part to the weather and due in part to work, I was the only musician leading mm-hmm. both vocally as well as playing my guitar for for the midweek service. Um, so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of, of flexibility into that. And even with the, the type of music that we use, we do everything from um, the hymns, the so what you'd find in your standard hymnals, um, Maybe a little bit more so for that on the Saturday evening service, um, straight up to stuff that's been released um, by some of the groups I've already mentioned, like Bethel and Jesus Culture, for that second service on Sunday morning. So, mm-hmm. so there's some variety. So, um, for me, I'm really glad that that we we end with the Eucharist again. It's a little bit more of that uh, response to um, and kind of the the consummation of the. For me, it's the consummation of the service. And to where I feel like, okay, we've 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 done what we said we were going to do. You know, we've we've come into the presence of God, uh, mm-hmm. as my students would would say, we've done a thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and that. So so our listeners, if they if they attend New Life, they'll hear um, they'll hear a lot of similar things because uh-huh. we the way that we set things up is is quite a bit like that. Our we have a Saturday night service um, that's actually much it's it's much less structured than uh, our two Sunday morning services. So th- we call that our casual service. Nice. So that's that's a little bit more when it comes to music. It's usually just a vocalist and a guitar, uh, and it's usually hymns and then maybe one 
uh, kind of more modern chorus worship tune. Yeah. Um, and it's word heavy. So it's mm. a shorter service, about 45 minutes. And the bulk of that is the, the sermon. Our Sunday morning services, we have our traditional service is the first one. And it is from, we follow the Lutheran book of worship uh-huh. and um, down pretty much to a T. So that from, you know, that's from the seventies from that ecumenical movement. Right. Um, so it's the same movement that the common lectionary and the 79 BCP was shaped in. Yep. Uh, so it's kind of that, that flavor. And we do, uh, the pastors are in, we're in our vestments. So we're, we have albs and stoles. And so it's very traditional. Uh-huh. And then we have our second service. It, we call it our modern worship service. And it's uh, the the music, so it's tunes that people will know from the praise and worship movement, late '90s all the way up to songs that were released, you know, this year. Yeah. Uh, overall, though, our shape and and tell me if this is the case with the Father's House, the shape of the traditional worship service, our first one, and our modern worship service, the second one, are are still pretty similar. Uh-huh. Even if even if the worship is or, or the music, I mean, is vastly different. Yeah. And and for the most part, we take the order of service from the LBW from mm-hmm. the Lutheran Book of Worship, and we still follow that kind of base foundational order of worship in that modern worship setting. So even yeah. though it's the modern worship, we we have a uh, confession of forgiveness. That happens, and in the Lutheran tradition, you have a brief order that happens at the very beginning of the service. Uh-huh. And I think in the the way that um, the Book of Common Prayer has it, it's the confessions built into the Great Thanksgiving. Right. Is that correct? Right. So it's kind of written in before the the Lord's Supper, before the Eucharist. But we do confession right at the beginning, and then we go into uh, some sort of music. Uh, there's some sort of greeting in there as well. And then as we move through, then we read the the word out loud, and then there's the sermon. And uh-huh. then there's uh, the way that it, it's, it operates now is every other week we take Holy Communion. So then there's the response through the Holy Communion. Right. Um, or I should say after the sermon, then we recite the creed. Uh-huh. And so we recite the creed in both our traditional and our modern worship service. And we have the, the communion and then we're actually sent off at the end of the service with the blessing, uh-huh. with the benediction um, in both those cases. And so for us, the even the modern worship service still is is rooted in some of our traditional elements. And is that is that the case with you guys there at the Father's house? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned the benediction part because that even before we started the the Saturday night service, that's a little more traditional. Uh, we'd been using a benediction. I mean, since we were. Uh, since in the, in that little couple year gap between being part of the Pentecostal Holiness Church and being part of the communion of Evangelical Episcopal churches, we had been using the ironic blessing as yeah. our benediction all that time, and it, it was really cool because that that has become. This is a side note, but just just to kind of again show the similarities, um, that has become such an integral part of who we are that after two or three years of doing it, when the priest would go or the bishop would, would raise their hands to invoke uh, the blessing upon the people, the people mm-hmm. would lift their hands 
toward the bishop or the priest as an, oh, wow. as in essence like a, a reflective, you know, kind of like when we say the Lord be with you and the people respond, uh, right. you know, it's in the same way like in the Roman Catholic Church when when the priest comes out and and asks for forgiveness from the people or says, you know, pray that my sacrifice or that our sacrifice would be would be worthy through my hands and and the people forgive him in the same way the people lift mm. their hands towards the celebrant at our service mm-hmm. and and offer the blessing, you know, confer the blessing upon them as well. So it's like right. all of us together. So but yeah, wow. that order of service is you know, I could overlay it, superimpose it on all three of our services, our weekend services, hmm. and I you'd only have to make slight adjustments, kinda like what you're saying. Just right. you know, a slight nudge to the left or right in terms of content or in terms of portions of the service for them all mm-hmm. to line up and and fit right. that. So talk to me a little bit about how so we we may have people that go to I I know that we have uh, folks that, that are part of our congregation, they're part of our family. And they go to that second service, and they're still not quite sure why we do what we do. Why mm. we always recite the the creed after the sermon, yeah, or why we always recite the Lord's prayer, um, either during the Holy Communion or uh, when we don't have Holy Communion, we do it during the prayers of the people. Mm-hmm. We we recite the Lord's prayer at the at the end of the prayers of the people. That's kind of the consummation of our prayers. Right. Why why we uh, confess our sins and receive and hear forgiveness every week. Why we why we do the benediction at the end of the service the same way every week. And so, you know, some objections might be, hey, well, if you do this too often, it won't be meaningful. Hey, if you, you know, if you say the same words every single time, how is that? Uh, how is that expressive? Yeah. So there might be some questions, some even some animosity toward doing things that way. Mm. But here at here at New Life, and then also at the Father's House in Hutchinson, we find ourselves in a similar place, right? Where we have this kind of uh, and and you use the word um, I can't remember the word that you use now, but there's there's different ways to express. Right. There's different ways, and so uh, what I thought of the picture that I had in my mind was. Um, and I've heard it talked about, uh, you have heard this metaphor with the Gospels, the four Gospels, uh-huh. that it's like it's like a jewel that has m- several facets to it, yeah. several sides to it, yeah. lots and lots of sides. And if you look at one side, the jewel is beautiful, but if you turn it a little bit, that jewel looks so much different, uh-huh. uh, but it's still beautiful. And both all the sides of a jewel, all the, all the facets of a jewel are good representations of that jewel. They're just different sides to it. And so that's kind of the, when you talked about multifaceted worship, uh-huh. that's the image that I had in mind. Yeah. That as we respond to God, there are, there are different ways that we can, that we can look at worship in, in ways that it can look a little bit different, but they're all still good responses to God. Right. Um, so we kind of find ourselves in a similar situation where we kind of have this multifaceted approach to, to our response to God and his work. Can you just, as, as a historian and as a, uh, a scholar who has done work in musicology and liturgy and and church history, can you talk to us about why it's important for us as Christians to engage in these practices, even if they're old and if they're rote and if they're, you know, done for us, how that can be good expression and why we, why we for shape our worship that way. Yeah. So as a, as a musician, as a musicologist, I'll tell you most people, 
who come from a Western context. So, you know, Western Europe, um, United States, Canada, um, we have a certain framework of musical understanding. Um, you know, mm. we, we're used to, here, I've got my guitar within arm's reach here, a standard major scale. Now, if you start to play with that, with those, with those notes, if you start to use uh, quarter tones, if you, start, if you played with an instrument that was sl- like one string was slightly flat and it changed the intonation, mm-hmm. or if you start to get into like really strange chord progressions. You know, there's a reason why there's so many pop songs and, and congregational songs that are written with, you know, four or five basic chords. Right. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there was a guy who spoke about like country music being three chords and the truth. Um, you know, it was like an ethos of, of Bob Dylan, and I know I've heard Bono from U2 talk about it. But right. there's, a, there's a reason why when we hear this chord go to this chord, you know, you can hear in your mind what the next chord should be. And right. for some people, if I don't play that chord, they're going to be disappointed. So I'll go ahead and play it. Right. You know, and it's, the, it's part of why when we do an amen, there's that suspension, there's that sense of tension that resolves. So mm-hmm. our... our our ears, our subconscious in the West is, is tuned to a certain way. Now, I, that's, that's true mm. across the world. It just it looks and feels a little bit different, say, in, um, in Bali with the gamelan orchestras or in um, West Africa, in Ghana, with some of their uh, polyrhythmic stuff that they do. So it's going to be different. Mm. Within all those cultures, though, musically, there's some kind of a touch point. So in the West, we're used to the traditions of Haydn and Mozart and Bach and the Beatles and, and Muddy Waters and Chuck Berry and Bob Dylan and, and Robert Johnson. So we're, we have this, mm-hmm. this way that our, our senses for music, both in terms of melody and harmony and rhythm, different right. things like that are formed and formulated. Um, so when we're talking about worship, we're talking about congregational worship, liturgical form and function and things like that, it's kind of mm-hmm. the same way. So mm. as if, for example, if, if we were playing, um, if I knew that a song was in the key of C, then I would know uh, or suspect at least that at some point there's probably going to be a C major chord played there's going to be a G major chord, an F major chord. There might be an A minor chord, possibly a D minor, an E minor. And if the composer's really trying to throw it out there, a B diminished chord. So there's, in essence, there's like six or seven different things that they might utilize as part of that. So mm-hmm. now I can't tell you how many songs that I've heard that have used some formulation of those chords. Matter of fact, right. the, the typical that we talk about in a lot of music is using the one, four, five, and six chords. Um, and there's been so many songs that have been written off that formula or for a variation of that mm-hmm. formula that you could probably you could probably couch about 50% of popular music of the last 100 years like that. Um, right. That being said, when we come into congregational worship, um, it's important to have those touch points and those anchor points along the way. Mm-hmm. Um as a as somebody who helps to form and pastor pastors as a bishop um, it's important to me that the clergy that I help to oversee and the parishioners who I have under my co-supervision understand Mm -hmm. 
or at least have an appreciation for why we do this. So when we talk about the mm. creed, you know, mm-hmm. so you mentioned how the creed comes after the sermon. When I was going right. through my ordination training, when asked why, the bishop said, well, if there's anything that I've spoken that goes contrary to this, feel free to disregard it. Huh. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, so for, for him, the creed was a measuring stick. It, mm-hmm. it was a way mm-hmm. to say, not only are these the things that we as Christians espouse, these are our mm-hmm. beliefs, you know, mm-hmm. we believe in. Um, he's like, I, as a minister of the gospel, better not do anything that goes contrary to this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so, for, so for him, it was kind of like, in, in a good way, it was this, this guidance uh, to help mm-hmm. him as he, as he prepared. And so when we think about the songs we sing, the, the, that we sing, the prayers we pray, they need to, to fall in some, some line and semblance with, with what we're declaring through the creed, with, with the confession. Boy, I tell you what, the older I get, the more thankful I am for confession. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking private confession, like with a, with a confessor or a spiritual director or a priest or a pastor, mm-hmm. or whether you're talking corporate confession. And when, you know, it, it gives me comfort when I read in the pages of Scripture that says, if you confess your sins, you know, to one another, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to confess and then to forgive each other. And we oftentimes when we do confession, we do the corporate confession before the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it. I, I won't go into the whole thing, but it says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and left undone and so on and so forth. And at the end, you know, there's the absolution. So the, the celebrant stands yeah. up and says, you know, Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive us you all your sins, etc., etc. Sometimes after that, the celebrant will, will look at the congregation and say, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, in the name of Christ, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And, you know, really, wow. really takes it and extends the priesthood of all believers. And that's, a, mm-hmm. that's important, that we realize that it's not just about the guy in the robe or behind the pulpit or who's got right. the title of pastor, Who's doing this? Right. It, it is, you know, we the people. You know, it's yeah. it's all of us together. Um, and I'll, I'll say this about the Lord's Prayer. Um, I so I've been praying the Lord's Prayer practically as far back as I can remember, um, and I don't know that I fully. Uh, I still don't think I fully fully grasp it. Um, mm. And I think that if you're raised in church and you're taught the Lord's Prayer, it's something that it's something you just say, you know, it's mm-hmm. like if, if I was, I went through school at a time where we were taught the pledge of allegiance and we said it every morning, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of a, of a cultural context. And as I got older, I found myself in almost kind of a, um, a Lectio Divina sort of way. I'd get caught on certain phrases of the Lord's prayer and to think about the fact that Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And the first thing he says is, our Father. And I'm like, you, yeah. you, can, you can just get lost in those two words for a while and saying, mm-hmm. you can think about mm-hmm. the fatherhood of, of God to us. You can think about the brotherhood of Christ to mm-hmm. us and just what all that entails. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, on and on through it. 
So I think that there's that there's levels and layers through, you know, whether you're talking the creed, the Lord's Prayer, the confession, the prayers of the people. Um, I think that there's different aspects that, you know, just one day, it's kind of like you listen to the same song, you know, your favorite song, you've listened to it thousands of times, hundreds of times, and yet mm-hmm. you still catch something new or, or it refreshes you whenever you hear it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's still, after repeated listening, makes you breathe a sigh. Um, one of my personal mm-hmm. favorites of the last few years is uh, Samuel Barber. Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. It's a beautiful piece for string quartet. And mm-hmm. all I have to do is listen to the opening four measures, and I just breathe in this deep breath and just let out this contented sigh um, mm. because there's something in that piece by Barber that just brings me this sense of, ah, okay. Mm. allows me to exhale and I've heard the piece several times and yet it still has that effect on me uh, after all this time.